Good morning, church. I hope you're well this morning. I, I hope you're well this morning. I don't normally do this, but um, we had a we had a birthday on the uh, the staff this last week, um, and it was Josh Weiss. Uh, I don't even know. Josh may have had to run back. So we're not going to sing happy birthday, but if you will just incessantly talk to him about how happy you are that he had a birthday, um, you know, shower him with happy birthdays on his phone especially. He loves that. Um, uh, you know, leave voice messages just all week long, would you? Just, uh, just periodically, you know, and, and, and if you would, just could you make those, those messages just as annoying, annoying and as long as humanly possible so that he knows how appreciated he is around here? That would be great. That would be great. <laughs> Love you, man. Oh, I see him now. He's back there. Oops. I've had, some, I've had some really great jobs over uh, the course of my life. I remember the very first job that I had, the real job, you know, uh, the job that's not like a chore, but like a job. I was in the fifth grade, and uh, we had moved to a new town, and, and uh, I was going to have the opportunity to uh, do a paper out. And I was just enamored with the idea of, of being the paper boy. So I got this big thing, and, and I had all these papers in this big canvas bag, and, and I got to go door to door. And, and every day, uh, the papers would be dropped off in front of our apartment door at the time, and I would have to roll them and put a rubber band on them and sometimes stick them in a, uh, in a sleeve. And then, and then every day after school, my job was to, to go around the community. I would walk around and deliver newspapers. My, my very first job. I, I remember some of the, the unique jobs that I've had, too. One of the most unique jobs I ever had the opportunity to do was one summer in between my junior and senior year, I'm pretty sure, I got to work in an active gold mine. I, I was living in Colorado at the time, and there were some friends of ours who, who they, uh, they knew this guy, uh, I, to be truthful, can't even remember what his name was. I can see him in my mind. Uh, he was this short, kind of older man who had grown up with this a fantasy about hitting the mother load, and he had bought all of this ground, including the mine, and, and his son had kind of uh, picked up on this, and his son now, this big, great big burly man, um, he was the active miner in this mine, and so you could give tours, and uh, you could uh, walk through the mine, but it was an active mine, and so I would give tours as well as sometimes I would have to go in and try and, uh, it was called mucking, for those of you that don't know mining terms, you'd have to take this big shovel, uh, and after a blast, you would go in on these big steel plates and try and muck out the rock. And one time I was mucking out the rock, I had put it in the ore cart, uh, just like the old days, right? And, and the, the, the track to the mine was, was graded so that when you had a full ore cart, it would just kind of glide out. And I thought, wow, this is going to be fun. 
So I thought, well, you know, if it'll glide out by itself, just if I added a little bit to it. So I got it going. I was pushing as hard as I could. And, and it'll go. You know, you probably have a ton of ore in the ore car, and you're pushing it. And finally, it starts to really go. Well, don't do that when there's a tour going through the mine. I got, I got yelled at for that. But that was probably the most unique job I have ever had. I had so much fun. I love p- telling people, yeah, I, I've actually worked in an active gold mine. Uh, one, one time, uh, when they were just about to, they had set all the blasting caps, I begged and begged, would you please let me push the button? So I got to push the button, and then you count one explosion, two explosions, three explosions, as the whole mountain just shakes. It was amazing. Maybe you've had some interesting jobs like I have. I mean, I've been on a a team of a construction crew. I've been on maintenance. Uh, I've worked at McDonald's as the register attendant. We have jobs. We work. Uh, Some of our jobs might be more unique than other jobs. They might, you know, uh, require of us something different. Uh, But I began to think this week, what if, what if in whatever work that we have, uh, what if we began to take our spiritual life, our faith, and wed it with our work? Uh, what if, uh, what if you and I, in, in the work that we have, in whatever vocation the Lord has given us to do at this moment, at this time, uh, what if we began to just wed and merge together our spiritual life, our growth, our maturity with what God has us doing in our workplace? Uh, We've been going through this series for a number of weeks. We've called it Good Sense. And this morning, uh, we look at at this, uh, again, this this good sense as we walk through the passages in Proverbs that deal about work. And we've made it our goal throughout this entire series to say, hey, let's raise the ceiling. Let's raise the ceiling on our spiritual life. Uh, Let's raise the bar of where we are uh, in our maturation with Christ. Uh, Let's grow in our faith. Uh, Let's be better tomorrow than we were yesterday uh, because uh, we just want to be wise people. We want to practice wisdom. We want our daily life uh, to be the lab, the testing ground uh, for our opportunity to be better at being Christian. And we do that this morning uh, by recognizing uh, that Proverbs talks an awful lot about work. And when we talk about work, there seems to be this cause-effect sort of relationship uh, that when we go about doing this, when we merge our faith and our work, uh, that there is often a good result. So this morning, uh, we have a chance to see work differently Uh, We have an opportunity to perceive uh, the work that we do every single day uh, very differently than we did before. And uh, when we do, when we see it differently than we saw it before, not only 
Well, our perceptions change, but we will seek to emulate uh, the characteristics of the righteous person, the wise person, and how they go about doing their work. You see, when you and I perceive things differently, uh, when we begin to to track with our work in a different way than we did before, what we'll find is that our work might be an altar on which we offer our worship to God. You see, in the Old Testament, there was, uh, at the very center of worship, there would have been an altar. It was a place where people would actually bring uh, animals for sacrifice, and they would lay this animal on the altar. And it was this symbol to God, hey, God, I recognize who you are, that you've saved us, that it's by your provision uh, that we are even here. And we have an opportunity to really uh, see our work as worship. Uh, to say of our work, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make every day an altar kind of day when I walk into the office, when I jump in my tractor, when I get in my truck. I'm going to make my work worship. You see, the seven dwarfs said, whistle while you work. But God seems to be saying throughout Proverbs... How about you worship while you work? Turn with me, would you, to to Proverbs chapter 12. Turn with me to Proverbs chapter 12. You see, there are all sorts of characteristics of the one who worships while they work. The worship-filled worker has a bunch of elements to how they go about working that you and I want to emulate, that we want to do. We want to be like these kind of workers. Proverbs walks again and again talking about the kind of of characteristics that, that follow the wise worker. And you and I, if we're to be worship-filled workers, ought to take note of some of the things that they do. Uh, the first characteristic uh, that, that we ought to emulate, uh, the first element that we ought to look really clearly at, is the fact that when we are worship-filled workers, we work hard. We're not lazy. We don't want to just sit around all day. And the idea of a one who works hard in the Proverbs is, is really uh, that you do what it takes to provide for yourself. That you'll go about diligently as much as you have capacity to be able to do to try and make sure that you're providing. Look with me at Proverbs chapter 12 and then verse 11. I forgot to tell you where it is in your pew Bibles, didn't I? Page 445, for those of you that need a pew Bible. I'm sorry. Chapter 12, verse 11. Those who work their land will be abundant, will have abundant food. But those who chase fantasies have no sense. 
Skip down just a few verses in verse 24. Diligent hands will rule, but laziness ends in forced labor. Just another verse later in verse 27. uh, The lazy do not roast any game, but the diligent feed on the riches of the hunt. Are you working hard at what you do? Uh, You see, the point is not exactly that you have this job or that job. Sometimes uh, we get into an idea uh, that, that God is more pleased based on the rank of our job. Some of us think that, uh, that those who, for instance, may uh, be a cook at McDonald's have a, a lower rank than those of us who do other things. But really, the idea here is that regardless of what you do, whether you're a janitor or a gardener, whether you do landscaping or you're a farmer or a teacher, that whatever it is that you do, uh, you go about it in such a way that you work hard at it. And that when you do work hard at it, the result will be uh, that you're able to provide. The idea is that the economics of the world for you and for others will work well when you work hard, that you work diligently. That's not the only place in Proverbs where it says that we ought to work hard. Chapter 14, verse 23, all hard work brings a profit. But mere talk leads only to poverty. We have to work hard. At the very end, moving all the way to the end of Proverbs, chapter toward the end anyway, chapter 28, verse 19, the writer of Proverbs gives this characteristic yet again. Those who work their land will have abundant food, but those who chase fantasies will have their fill of poverty. Uh, there's a cause-effect relationship with our work. It shouldn't surprise us that the Bible picks up on this. When we work hard, oftentimes we'll be rewarded. We'll have a good job. We'll be able to put food on the table. So the question for you is, are you one who is working hard? Are you getting up? Are you doing the things you, you ought to do to, uh, to show God that on this altar you're placing the very best that you have an opportunity to place there. Are you working hard? Now, this is highlighted in Proverbs, not just by uh, the way that we see the righteous one working hard, but oftentimes throughout Proverbs, we see the one who isn't working hard at all, the one who's lazy. Uh, Sometimes it's translated as the sluggard. You get this picture of someone who is lazy and just lying on their bed or on the couch, watching soap operas, perhaps. Proverbs chapter 6, if you wanted to move back. Proverbs chapter 6, verse 9 and 10. The question of the one who is lazy. How long will you lie there, you sluggard? When will you get up from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come on you like a thief and scarcity like an armed man. In other words, you have the ability to work. So why don't you get up and work? 
In chapter 10, uh, very similar sorts of words. Uh, Chapter 10, verse 4 and 5. Lazy hands make for poverty, but diligent hands bring wealth. He who gathers crops in summer is a prudent son, but he who sleeps during harvest is a disgraceful son. Hey, you, you have an opportunity to go out there and work. You can plant and you can harvest, but, but you're not doing anything. Get up and do something. In chapter 20, verse 4, again, we, we see that we ought to be hard workers. That on this worshipful sort of altar that we give to the Lord in our work, we, we work hard, we work diligently. Verse 4 in chapter 20, sluggards don't plow in season, so at harvest time they look, but they find nothing. In the next chapter, chapter 21, verse 25, the craving of a sluggard will be the death of him because his hands refuse to work. All day long he craves more, but the righteous give without sparing Uh, Perhaps the most interesting one throughout the book of Proverbs, chapter 26. Sometimes laziness can become such a habit that it's ridiculous. Chapter 26, verse 14. Notice the image that the writer gives of the one who's lazy. As a door turns on its hinges, so a sluggard turns in his bed. It's the idea that there's a, uh, there's a hinge on his bed with him attached to it, and all they can do is literally roll over. But the very next verse shows you how ridiculous it is if you have the ability but won't work. A sluggard buries his hand in his dish, but he's too lazy to bring it back to his mouth. Are you working hard? Are you someone that's saying, hey, I, I, I desire to, to merge my life with my faith, and I want my work to be a part of that? Are you saying of your work, whatever it might be, I'm going to work hard no matter what it takes. I'm going to make that an offering that I give to the Lord. In high school, I got the opportunity to play high school basketball. I got to ran track one year. Now, I was not an impressive athlete. Uh, There might be times that I would like you to think that I was something really special. But let's be honest, I was riding the pine most of the time. I didn't get to start many games. Sometimes I didn't even get to play in a game. But I decided early on when I was playing high school basketball that no one was going to outwork me, that I was going to practice harder than anybody else. It didn't matter if their talent was greater than mine, that I was going to work harder than they were. And I set out every single practice to go at 150%. I was going to work. I was going to get better. I wasn't going to worry about some other person and how much time they got. I was going to worry about me and my attitude and the work that I had in front of me. Now, I didn't score a lot of points. I didn't get a lot of rebounds. There were no articles in the paper written about me. 
But when it came time for our banquet, I was awarded. Not because I was the greatest athlete, but because I was the hardest worker. Sometimes the Lord will find that when you have an opportunity and you take the opportunity to lay in your work an opportunity to worship, God may say, I've got something in store for you. Maybe you're not the best worker. Maybe you don't have the most glamorous job. But the principle for the one who is filled with worship in their work is one who works hard. And notice what happens to the one who works hard. In another place in Proverbs, it says, you may never know the opportunity you get to sit before great people when you do that. Move over to chapter 22. Sometimes when we work hard, we get rewarded in ways that we couldn't even possibly imagine. Uh, verse 29 in chapter 22, do you see someone skilled in their work? They will serve before kings. They will not serve before officials of low rank. You never know. When your hard work might be rewarded to sit before someone that you never thought possible, all because you said, today, I'm going to merge my faith with my work. I'm going to wed my vocation with growth. And I'm going to lay on the altar that my work will be worship. And I'm going to work hard. The characteristic of the righteous person. The, character, the characteristic of someone who is merging their faith and their work is someone who works hard. But it's not just that they work hard. It's not as if they work hard so that they might just get rich quick. It's not so that they can gather up more and more. You see, the person who, who is wise in their work, they work hard, but they also put things in their proper place. Now, maybe you've heard the old proverb, you got to make hay while the sun shines. You see, making hay while the sun shines says, hey, hey, hey. <laughs> Uh, you can laugh about that later inside, okay? If you have a bunch of grass laying out on the field, you don't want to leave it there too long. Because if you do, it'll mold on the back side. So you have to make sure that if it does lay out there a little longer, you have to go out and you have to rake it on these big, uh, big circular rakes so that it turns over, so that the air gets to it, uh, so, that, uh, so that when you, when you lay it out there, the moisture that comes up from the ground doesn't ruin it. And sometimes, even though it's hot outside, even though you may like to do something else, you've got to go make hay while the sun is shining. Proverbs says sometimes you you got to make hay while the sun shines. Now, look with me, if you would, at, at Proverbs chapter 24, verse 27. Sometimes you may want to do something else, but you really need to go and mend your job. Chapter 24, verse 27. Put your outdoor work in order and get your fields ready. After that, build your house. 
I know we have some farmers in the room. You see, there seems to be this spiritual dilemma every fall and spring. You know what it is. It's called planting season and harvest. You see, there's this dilemma because almost every fall and every spring, what happens? It rains. And you're thinking, I have to get into the field. I don't want to be out here in December. I don't want to be out here in June. It's going to be too late. I've got to get the, the, the crop in the field. This is the same sort of idea that the Proverbs are talking about. Hey, uh, when it's time, i got to get out there. i got to do my work. i got to set my priorities in order and make sure that this is something that, that I look at and say, i got to get this done. Maybe your life is like that at times. I remember a time when I was a dishwasher. It was probably my least favorite job. I really didn't like washing dishes, but it was a job that I had, and it paid me some money. And I remember one time, my friend came in, and he said, Hey, Mike, do you want to go to the concert tonight? And I said, Man, i got to work. I'm here till close. Sorry. And I remember my friend kind of egging me on, tempting me. You hate this job anyway, Mike. Just leave. Don't go. Don't worry about it. They'll deal with it. And I... I had to contemplate that. Yeah, I do hate this job. I don't love washing dishes. I would love to go to the concert. I'd love to hang out with my friends. But I gotta, I gotta mend my field first before I go and build my house. Sometimes we have the discipline. The characteristic of our work ought to be that we have enough integrity to do what matters first. It's not just that we work when it's time to work and play when it's time to play. It's that we put money in its proper perspective. Oh, all of us know that money has its place. We need money. It's a financial world that we live in. We have bills that need paying, and so we go to work so that we might pay those bills. Those are good things, but money isn't all that we're after. Notice that the person of wise character doesn't overvalue money and doesn't undervalue it either. Look with me, would you, in chapter 23, at what they find about their money Chapter 23, verse 4 and 5. Don't wear yourself out to get rich. Don't trust your own cleverness. Cast but a glance at riches and they're gone, for they will surely sprout wings and fly off in the sky like an eagle. You see, the security of one who works hard is never in their wealth. It's always in the Lord. Skip back a couple of pages to chapter 18. And notice the contrast between the wise worker and the unwise one. The one who's filled with worship and the one who isn't. In verse 10 in chapter 18, the name of the Lord is a fortified tower. The righteous run into it and are safe. In other words, they know that their security is in the Lord. 
1811, the wealth of the riches is their fortified city. They imagine it as a wall too high to scale. In other words, they put their security in their money. You see, we might work hard. Maybe we're able to save up a little bit. But the person of wise character who makes their work a worship uh, puts money in its right place. It's not a security forever because that alone belongs to God. The last thing that the Proverbs tells us really about this person of high character, this wise person who makes their work worship, is that they're people of great and high integrity. Uh, They make sure that uh, they understand that when they're doing business, they do it well. And they do it without compromise. If you go to chapter 11, we'll hear this phrase numerous times. Chapter 11, verse 1. The Lord detests honest scales, but accurate weights find favor with him. A few chapters later, very similar sorts of words are found. Uh, chapter 16, verse 11, 11, 11, honest scales and balances belong to the Lord. All the weights in the bag are of his making. In other words, in the ancient world, you would go to the market, uh, you would put your food on one side, and there would be a scale on the other. It would be a standard. If you were a dishonest person, uh, you could manipulate the standard uh, so that you could pocket more money. And God says, I detest that kind of business person. I detest that kind of worker who has no integrity with what they do. Several years ago, I was uh, watching a television show, and, and I don't know why I was watching this particular show, but it had to do with some ranchers in Montana. And there was this uh, particularly large rancher. He had a lot of cattle, and uh, he was getting to the point of bringing them in to have them slaughtered, to sell them off. And he couldn't have them in the open plains, so He brought them in and had them in a pen, and then he fed them a bunch of hay. Then he brought them in, and he sold them. And they're going across the scale, and they're being weighed, each one of them. And it was this enormous, enormous check. The weight was incredible. But before the person wrote the check, He said, you know what, why don't you take, and I don't remember what it was, it was a percentage off of the weight. He said, you know what, I just fed them full of grass, and they got a whole bunch of tonnage sitting in their belly that's not going to amount to anything. So why don't you try and take that off, take that percentage off. It meant thousands of dollars for him. And yet he had the kind of integrity that said, you know what, it's not worth it for me to sell my integrity for a bunch of hay sitting in the gut of a bunch of cows. And perhaps you understand the kind of ethical tensions that can happen while we're at work. 
Uh, it oftentimes happens when we have knowledge of something that other people don't have. Uh, let's say, uh, just for instance, that you know a lot about cars. Now, I don't know all that much about cars. You could probably sell me on just about anything. If you sounded intelligent with what was going on in my car, I would probably believe you. You have a power, you have a knowledge that, that I don't have. And you know that you can manipulate that. You could manipulate that power that you have over me to make me buy things that I don't really need. So Christian, what will you do? You have a power, a knowledge, an ability. Will you overcharge? Will you tell people they need something when they don't really need it? In this world that we live in, maybe you're an employer. And you know that there's all sorts of political turmoil in regards to immigration. And there's some people that you employ regularly that are fantastic workers. Maybe the best that you've ever had. But you know they're here illegally. And every time you open up your wallet and pay them in cash, you're breaking the law. But you also know that if you don't do that, then these great workers are going to have to go somewhere else and uh, they have to provide for their families too. And so you feel stuck. And so, employer, what will you do when you come to the altar of work that you might make it worship? Will you take money out of your own pocket so that maybe they're not illegal anymore? Will you put your neck out on the line so that, so that those folks whom you love to have here and employ, will you, will you be there for them? characteristic of the person who is wise in their work, who makes their work worship, is one who does everything above bar, who says, I'm going to lead out with the utmost integrity. What will it look like? What will it look like for you and for me, for our church, for our community? When the people and the employees and all the vocations represented in this room, what will it look like when you and I merge and wed together our faith and our work? What will it look like when we uh, take a different perspective and begin to see things differently and we say, my work is not just my work, it is my worship on the altar to God to serve Him. Because here's the conclusion. When we will wed our faith, our growth, our, our spiritual maturity with our work, then we will expand the palette of opportunity that God gives us to grow. When we will take together our work and make it worship, And we expand the arena 
that God will give us to grow. If you desire to grow, if you desire to mature in Christ, then perhaps tomorrow, as you wake up, as the alarm goes off, you make your work worship. Pray with me. Lord God, I thank you for your goodness. We love you. Lord, I pray that if, if there be something that has just pricked our hearts, if there be something that, that irritates us, I pray, Lord, that we would wrestle with that. And I pray through that, Lord, that you're transforming us, that you're shaping us. Lord, that I, I pray that our work would be a testimony of our authentic worship to you. I pray, Lord, that the quality of our work will show the genuineness of our worship. And that tomorrow and the next day and the next weeks and the next months, we will work well and demonstrate that we worship well. Lord, with the dilemmas that face us as we work, I pray that you will be our guide. And I pray, Lord, that we would take on these characteristics designed in your word that we might grow to be more like you. Lord, help us to have good sense in our work. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.